Hi, I'm Scott Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the GAF Podcast. This podcast is for professionals who want to work in the advisory space. It's a series of conversations and essential frameworks to give better advice. It's the stuff they don't teach you at uni. It's where value sits. So buckle in, volume up, let's go. In today's podcast, I speak with Mike Bennett from Bennett Wealth. Mike has 30 years in wealth management and will take us through the tips and traps of building a successful wealth management business. Welcome to the GAF podcast. Scott Fitzpatrick here. So good to have Mike Bennett from Bennett Wealth based in Perth. Welcome, mate. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Scotty. Good to be here. Now, just really quickly, I believe you're at Three Springs. You've escaped Perth, escaped lockdown just in time. Yep, yep. We um, drove out of town yesterday with my parents and my sister's family, and we drove about four hours north and parked up on the side of a little country town up here and in a free camping spot on the side of their rec centre and swimming pools where we've got full access to everything, and there's plenty of birds, as you can hear. Oh, that's great. We love the natural <clears throat> amphitheatre there. Now, Mike, we've got a whole bunch of things to talk about. You've got a really successful financial services wealth management business, and I want you to give us a little bit of your background. But then what we want to talk about is this cost to acquire clients, cost to service them, what the business of the future looks like. But also the big topic is how do we let go of clients? But let's start with a little bit of your background. Yeah, well, it's nice of you to say it's successful. Um, I'll go back on that. We still think there's plenty of warts on the business. And I suppose as, uh, as we evolve in business, we always still aware of the things we want to improve so one of the things in working with you guys has been that you have helped us reflect on the good things we are doing um, because we t- tend to focus on the things that we're not doing but think we should be doing so uh, it's been a good part of the process but my background is that i spent the first half of my career in the mining industry so in perth in western australia it was easy to go and earn a thousand dollars a week out on the mines which i did Ten weeks, had ten thousand dollars, and went overseas for twelve months and travelled, and uh, and then came back in the uh, sort of the engineering work I did in the mining industry that took me all over the world doing design and commissioning on project in uh, some interesting places, but I uh, I realised that, that wasn't very sustainable for a normal family sort of lifestyle. So at one point when I was sitting up on the top of the Andes, the world's biggest copper mine, Escondida, I enrolled in the financial planning course and life coaching course because I figured life coaching was really the, the science about helping people achieve their goals. So I did both together. Um, Interesting. That yeah. led, led into uh, what we do today. So let, let's talk about today. What's the business look like today? Three advisors and four other very capable admin team that keep us on track. Our philosophy is that we can handle 50 clients per advisor, 50 families. And uh, that's the number that we think means we can do it properly and uh, really roll our sleeves up and get involved and and be there for those important turning points in, in the family's life uh, where we bring them the, the changes that are needed rather than being reactionaries. And I'm at 53 clients, so... Um, and, and my business partner, Martin, he's at about 46 and Stuart, who's been with us about seven years and advising for two or three, he's 
is about half full of clients. So we're at that interesting phase where really it's about um, the ideal type of client. We're able to be very selective. But, you know, it's, it's a nice place to be. Yeah. So we, talk, we spoke a little bit before about, you know, when you first start business, it's very transactional based. And I'm not sure how many years you've been in business, but maybe just on, you know, you've probably got a whole bunch of ideal clients, but there maybe there's some non-ideal clients there who were your past, but not necessarily your future. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I remember my first clients when I came into the industry were their friends that were brave enough to come and see me. <clears throat> that was helping them with little savings plans. But what really became our, um, our core focus because of our age and, and WA maybe my background, but was the mining and resource clients who were typically uh, earning great money and most of them don't do the right things with it and don't get the outcomes they want. So it was a big accumulation focus, accumulator focus. And so it's dealing with a lot of debt, a lot of tax strategies, um, cash flow, getting their lives in order, which are all the things we still do today. But there was an aspect that... Uh, of the work we did back then where we did a lot of great things for people and it was actually just helping them get better rates on their home loans and someone could come in with a couple of million dollars worth of debt and we could see their rate was too high we'd go in and renegotiate it and often say um 10 or 15 grand a year in interest and if it was investment debt we prepaid that we often got them a one-off 20 or 30 grand tax refund as well so that was great work and the clients really appreciated it and it did bring in some nice clients, but it, it was transactional and it was dealing with clients who have a lot of debt rather than a lot of assets. So as we mature, of course, we're now having more clients come in who have made their wealth and really looking for a custodian to help manage it and continue to grow it and pass it to the next generation and, and also just clear up all those other things around their life and their wealth that um, that needs sorting out, so the estate planning, asset protection, and, and just making their life easier so they can free up and get out and enjoy life. So, yeah, certainly um, Martin and I both think that 30% of our clients don't match the sort of clients we're bringing in now. And so we really are at that point of needing to manage that because we don't want to move on to 75 clients per advisor. And so it's something fairly front of mind for us. So what do we do there? You know, the the industry moving to a profession faces is that we've all got these clients and, you know, we may have categorised them as A, B, Cs and Ds. Um, in my case, it's normally my brother I've got to look after. Um, we've all got some family in there somewhere um, that are a mismatch for our services. And, you know, in the past, traditionally, we could have bundled them up together and sold them off. But it makes no sense now for anyone I can't see from a cost to service compliance, etc., to take on those yeah. low end clients. Is that is that how you feel about? It? Yeah, that's right. We've always been told to sell off the bottom end. The reason we could never do that is we just actually liked them and we had relationships with these people and we want to see them through. So that's been a barrier for us. We're a bit of a soft touch there. The the next thing that the industry traditionally does is brings in a junior advisor and they look after those clients and so that was part of the option with Stuart when he started advising but Martin the business partner had some wonderful foresight there and he said look Stuart rather than you being bogged down with our legacy clients 
um, we really want to have you. So you're just bringing in and, and seeing the ideal clients for the business today. And so Stuart is likely to end up with one of the cleanest client books uh, of any of us because of he's been in that position of being able to be very selective. And we've actually said to him, look, you know, price yourself out of that one or, or let them go. Um, so we've, we, we haven't used those two traditional methods. Um, one of the things we are doing, which sits with us comfortably from an ethical standpoint, is where there have been a few clients that really, in the end, haven't needed us too much. And so where we've been caught up with them is managing their super funds or some investments. And what we've done at the times there is just set them up with an industry super fund and another investment solution that didn't need hand-holding. And by the time we've worked with them for a few years, they're actually pretty damn educated. So they're not going to blow it up. They know where to come to if, it, if, it, uh, if they've got a turning point or a transition. So that's been something that we've had some success with. And then the other part of it is, is really having that expectations chat because it might be that the client's sitting there going, I'm really not sure if I'm getting value from this either these days. So having that chat with them and saying, look, is this working for you? Um, it's it's not something I'm excited about now, our relationship and what we're achieving. And being fairly, um, just, just having a, a good, genuine, but tough conversation there has also meant that, clients self-select and it either moves two ways either they go yep i'm right you're right and and let's go um and part company or they go no look this is important to us um we haven't been giving enough attention or haven't been there's other stuff we haven't told you about so that's that's an area that we're spending a lot more time focusing on as we sort of go in and and re-engage with our clients each year and that's i think that's the that's the piece that we're not very good at yet as an industry moving to a profession is rescoping the work that we do. Now we we all want to pick up clients for life, but that's just not that's just not where we are now. The, the rescoping each year, and sometimes yeah, it's a one year job, and you don't need us anymore, Mister Client, which is where you're heading to with those clients. Or it's rescoping the advice. Yep, we need to go for another year. Um, to get you well organised, and sometimes we've got to let go of some of those strategies uh, that you've got in place at the moment. Yeah, we've just actually moved to this annual engagement model as well, um, and well, I hadn't thought about it, but you're probably right. That's that's going to be a good uh, good mechanism to you know have have those conversations each year and reset things rather than it being just about the relationship and we continue on as as we have in the past. Yeah, I think those days are gone. Um, they're, they're, or they're, if they're not gone, they're certainly dwindling. And that this you know, client for life is certainly something we've all held on to for a long while, but I really think it's you need to demonstrate value every year uh, to be able to re-engage those clients. But I want to just move back before I move forward, which was, you know, for you, what would be the minimum fee now for you to take on a client with the complexity, with advice, with compliance, regulation, um, is there a minimum that you think of um, for your particular business? There is, and it's it's basically ten grand a year. But it hasn't come from a scientific uh, sort of cost up uh, costing um, process. Where that came from for me was 
you know, I'm the sort that wakes up at three in the morning, starts thinking about one of the clients and what's going on and realises that something needs to change. So I need to get in and tell them it's time to de-risk or I need to get in and tell them it's time to get rid of the business or whatever. And, and you can't do that when you've got 300 clients. And, and it, <laughs> so I lose three hours sleep there, lose two days making all that happen with them. <clears throat> and I just decided that unless someone's paying me 10 grand a year, they shouldn't have that shelf space in their head and, and mm. on my, be on my worry list. And I, yes. I talk about people being on my worry list and yep. sort of five clients at any one time were on that list and I only have so much bandwidth. So really, it, that's that's the way we've come at it. And I was having that conversation with Stuart the other day and, and, uh, and we were talking about exactly that. And the other mechanism I've done when I've been coaching younger advisors is I've said, look, what's your... What sort of revenue would you like to be doing, or even before that? What What do you want to be earning? So, when you're a a fully fledged, wonderful advisor, putting a lot of effort in and managing a great business, and worrying a lot and, and making these tough conversations and doing it on a really ethical basis, what do you think you're worth? And if they say, "Well, no, I think that's worth three hundred grand a year," then then you build up and you say, "Right, that's three hundred." Then you've got to You've got to pay all the admin costs and then you've got to pay taxes. And so when we gross that up, it, it sort of ends up at five or 600. And then you say, how many clients do you think you can handle? And they come at at, at, uh, at 50 or, or 100 and that defines your fee. So 100 clients for 600 grand, six grand per year of revenue and 50 clients is 12. And that's about where we're at. So I think that's a really simple way for people to cut through and, and decide on what their fee proposition looks like and their client number proposition looks like that arrives at that target household income. Yeah, I, I keep coming back to a couple of points. I, I just cannot see in today's environment how a client can be looked after with the time from an advisor for less than five or six, seven grand a year. With the risk the advisor takes on, the compliance costs to produce the documents, there's a grand or two there, there's a grand or two in time, and then you need to have a grand or two for the for the risk premium that you pay to be in this industry now. Yep. Otherwise, why would you do it? And look, on the, on the new client side, we think it takes us 24 man hours to produce an SOA. So that encompasses the advisor's time in the meetings and scoping and checking documents and then our uh, admin team writing the documents and prepping them and getting them printed and so on and so on. And, and mm. so that at our hourly rate comes out at about eight grand. There you go. And, and so that's it on a cost basis. So our plans are between six and 12, yep. and, and that's on a cost basis. The, the reality is, though, that what's more important rather than the upfront fee is the lifetime value of the client. And so where we've made mistakes at times is pricing the initial advice like that and potentially missing a what could have been a really wonderful client um, for the lifetime where there was going to be lots of good things happening or we we're going to be at a lot of value and therefore they'd be comfortable paying us well. So it, 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 so we've never run the loss leader process. A lot of the industry run where the, the initial advice is really cheap and uh, and then you get the lifetime fees. But having said that, it a good client needs to be willing to pay our fees, otherwise they're not a good client. And 
some people, no matter how much value we could add, they're just too fee conscious and, and uncomfortable paying. So by pricing it right up front, it does weed them out as well. Um, so it's not a bad thing, but it's not a perfect science either. So let's talk about these tough conversations or mismatching expectations because, you know, I remember having uh, one of our early days, we had this fantastic fee-paying client, but it was not a fantastic client in that the whole office was on edge the whole time this client rang. And they rant yeah, and raved. Yeah. They rant and raved and carried on. And then the client decided to leave us, and it was almost a sigh of relief for the whole office. Sure, we could have done with the revenue, but we were we were much better off without them, and they were better off without us. Yeah, it's so, a tough one. And look, I think one of the things I wish I've been better at in the past is having those tough conversations. I'm everyone hates conflict, but I think I'm yeah I'm pretty bad at that as well. But it's certainly one of the things I'm better at and more focused on. I've got a client exactly like that who's demanding and arrogant and probably a bit on the spectrum, fabulously wealthy and successful and, and knows it. And we're charging him a, a fee that we think compensates for those behaviour <laughs> traits. There's a premium for that, a, yep. the nicest gift I could give to my team to say uh, we're terminating him and finding him another home so that you don't have to uh, dodge his phone calls anymore. Yeah, it's at, at what point do you say no? And we do need to get better at these tough conversations. And I think that that re-scoping really helps with these conversations to go, look, yeah. you know, as your advisors, here's what we think you need to do. But if you're at odds with that, you need to go and get a second opinion. And I'm happy to refer yeah, you on. a couple of examples in the uh, last few weeks where, you know, they're nice families they're, they're nice people there's respect there um so not behavioral issues like that or, or personality issues but the strategies just weren't working and they came in with existing strategies one was um long property and had borrowed in the super fund for property and had a few properties outside and they were in that last 10 years ramped down to retirement and one of the hard things as advisors is we never really know what investment strategy is going to be the best until we're sitting on our deathbed and can look back with the benefit of hindsight. And so when people come in in, in those scenarios, and sorry, the other one had a fairly big portfolio in a family trust, which was funded by debt. And it was with their friend who runs a stockbroking business over here and it was very high risk and speculative. In, in both instances, in their initial advice, we went, well, if you were sitting in cash, this is what we'd recommend. And so that holds the mirror up to the alternative strategy. But I can't sit in front of them and say, your strategy is wrong, you should be using ours. And so we're now about five years into both of these relationships. And fortunately, Perth Properties now turned the corner after being 10 years flatlined. But the, uh, the speculative share portfolio has missed a couple of opportunities where it really could have you know, gone gone large and uh, made big returns. And so in the last couple of weeks, I've had conversations with both those clients and saying, look, it hasn't worked. It's unfortunate. It could have worked. What we want to make sure is that we're not sitting here in five years' time and it still hasn't worked because, you know, moving towards retirement is so much more critical for you now. So let's really make the tough calls here and, and make some decisions. And... Those conversations go two ways. Either the clients go, well, I appreciate your honesty. I disagree or I'm not willing to change the strategies. Let's, we'll go on our own things. Or they go, yeah, I think we need to make these changes and, uh, 
and move forward and put the past behind us. So uh, I'm yet to see which way we're going to end up with those two clients, but I'm really pleased I've, I've had those conversations because they're the ones that sit and grind away at you, your, your guilt and, you know, your pride because you know that at some point they need to be had. And so I'm yep. wanting to have those sooner rather than later these days. That's called wisdom, my friend, <laughs> and some experience. And, I, you know, I love that con- that that concept of they've got to be able to pay to be on your worry list. And I, that reminds me of the Jim Stackpool concept of, uh, you know, you're paying for access. You're paying for access to, almost like a golf club membership to, to your advisor. And for you, they're paying for access into your headspace or your sleep time at night. Yeah. Another way I think of that too is that I charge fees that are big enough that they deserve for me to be abrasive and tough with them when needed, you know. I don't want to be an extension of their um, confirmational bias that yes. people have anyway, you know. So it's not... so easy as an advisor to just go with the, the whims and the directions of the yeah. clients and facilitate it, but uh, it's not what they're paying me for. Yeah, I really like that. And, you know, we can't help everyone. So, you know, this this whole podcast has been designed around the need to move up the value chart to deal with more complex clients in that higher net wealth or more successful family space and what are the skill sets you need to, to be around there. And when you look at that from an advisor point of view, what, what do you think of the skill sets that made you and your team successful in this space? I think historically, before anyone joins the business, we do some fairly rigorous psychometric testing and the, the character traits that come out of that that are important to us are Low ego, reasonably high on the altruistic scale, need pretty agile in the abstract reasoning and, and verbal reasoning aspects, um, which are more um, intellectually do the business, but the behavioural ones, if someone has a really high pride level and a really high ego, they're the ones that aren't willing to admit mistakes and aren't willing to you know, take things on the chin and it stops people moving forward a lot. And so that that's coming out of the behavioural aspect. But where that translates on the ground is everyone out in our team are self-directed, self-starters. They're self-critical, overly so. Um, we have to remind them of the things they're getting, they're achieving because they're always looking at the things they're not achieving. And, and they're all hard workers, so you know they'll roll their sleeves up and, and muck in and get it done. So I think that's been the biggest thing in our business that's driven us forward. We're not flashy, we're not well-branded, we're not well-marketed or positioned, but um, we know that if we look after our existing clients really well, the new clients turn up. So that's been a hallmark. But with working with you guys, um, what you've brought to us are these frameworks. I was slow to pick up on them, to be honest. You guys guys sat there... uh, numerous times talking to us about them and it wasn't until I started using them that I realised how powerful they are and what I hadn't realised was if we're sitting in front of really successful people who have generally they have high EQ as well as that drive and ambition the conversations they value aren't about asset allocation or tax strategies that's a given but if we can sit there in front of husband and wife and say look Let's, let's take this above the line rather than below the line or let's have an expectations chat about you and her or you and your kids or let's run through this stages model of where you're at in your relationship or your business. They 
are just completely repositioning us away from being a technical financial advisor to someone who really is going to be able to change their life and in, in a number of ways. And, and they pay money for that, these people. Absolutely. And, um, yep. and, and so that's what I realised. Uh, you know, it's, it's, the, um, it's the real thing that they value. And I've, I've had a client come in probably two or three years ago and it's sort of one of those things that we're in the industry to do, but a very successful family. He was a director of a multinational company and in the initial meeting, he was welling up. His face went red. He was almost in tears about the guilt he felt of their financial position. I'd, I'd done the 10 now, put it all up on the board and said, how do you feel? You know, let's do the sad, mad, glad, scared stuff. And, and he, he welled up and he talked of the mistakes he had made and how guilty he felt that he'd put his family's future in um, in a bad position. And I knew, I knew already that they were in a great financial position, but he'd held on to this baggage. And so... Because we did the advice, we modelled out what they needed and it showed them that they could actually retire then. And that gave him huge peace of mind. And we set a goal of him retiring proud, not broken, because oh, those levels in, in those industries, yep. they um, they can get burnt out yep. and then and then leave. And I wanted him to leave on his own terms and really proud so that he was set up for another great 30 years of uh, retirement mentally. And we did all that. There were some other great wins along the way. I introduced them to wonderful psychiatrist to help their, their their sons had a really bad accident recently and we've got him in with with another psych to get help there and, and it's that's the stuff that they value you know absolutely they, they, they go right you've got our financial lives sorted out that's great but what they really love us for is just all these other things and and it comes back to you can't do those things if you've got too many clients and you're too busy yep. and if you're not charging enough yeah I love that, mate. It uh, makes me a very proud old man listening to that. And you were, and you were a slow learner. What's the next? What's the next few years look like for you, Mike, in terms of your context? Live, love, learn, and legacy. One of the problems with the industry at the moment and all these changes is it, it's priced the profession out of normal society. Like you know, it's it's forced us. It, it's a it, it's a tool of the haves, not the have-nots, and it's it should be there to help the have-nots become the haves. Yeah. And I think it, not too, it won't be many years away and we'll look back and realise that the financial planning industry was blown up by all this regulatory change and oversight, which is a real shame. And so one of the problems I've got with, with our business model is we, we can't, we're not helping enough people. So I spend time thinking about that and I've got a few different business plans around that, one of which is just to mobilise our army of retired clients who are so wonderfully successful and so they could be cash flow coaches and, and mentors and things and I'd, I'd love to I've got this concept of them being an army that, that that I can use to feed people into to you know get yeah, all the yeah. things that yep. our business could do for them but it's too expensive and and they don't need us so that's one aspect but the other uh, yeah I think we need to be training great advisors for the future as well and you know the problem with our business model is we don't want to be at 100 advisors we don't um because i'm not a good manager uh, so i I, I'd, i'd make a total mess of that and so a concept i'm working on now is this advisor cadetship model and to me that's bringing a young advisor in and hopefully female because i was at an industry function the other night and there was 35 people sitting around the table and they were all men it was disgusting but anyway so bringing in people that want to be a great advisor um, incubating them in our business letting them build up the client base 
from our incoming um, referrals and then helping them go out and set up on their own and gestating them into their own business. And so that how that helps is in a number of ways um, we get to help and grow good people and they get to help us along the way. Absolutely, um, that's a win-win. We get yep. to get to get to capitalise on that incoming referral of lovely pre-filtered clients and, and then get to put them out in, into the industry to help of the future so that, that's the sort of things i'm thinking about well it's a lovely legacy piece mate is what i hear in there let's let's just we're going to run out of time here mike so i just want to summarize this because there's been some gold in here so firstly we all need to get better at the tough conversations we need to you know look at our business and find a solution for those clients that maybe are our past not our future we need to get better at saying no to clients we need to get better at rescoping advice one thing we didn't get to was scope creep. I might talk about it. But also, you know, I think in startup, we all take we take on all the clients we can. But I think, you know, looking at this business of the future, and I think you're a long way there on this concept of, you know, smaller client numbers, ideal clients, uh, and that, you know, that sitting on the family board role. And I love those couple of concepts you've just spoken about, about how you mobilise your, your retirees and how you build a cadetship program. So I really look forward to seeing how the future unfolds for you, Mike. Now, Mike, if people want to grab hold of you, where do we find you, apart from oh, in Three Springs? Uh, yeah. yeah, well, Ben at Wealth Group, they can Google that and, uh, and we'll pop up there. And really happy to talk to people who um, want to explore some more ideas or, have got some, or have, who have got some ideas for me. Still, I still feel that uh, I'm the little guy in the room, Scott, and we've actually had the chance to talk with you on this podcast is just uh, a bit mind-blowing, mate, so I'm... Very excited about that, and I told my kids today that I might be on Spotify, and that blew their mind. Thanks for the opportunity. I listen to your podcasts each time they come out, and I'm inspired by all of them. And you know, I think it's part of the solution for how we can help people at scale without uh, tying ourselves up as well. And you know, I, I keep thinking about ideas about how I could do something like this to to help um, clients themselves or inspire others. And and I think that's the other thing I'm trying to do in the background too. I'm trying to inspire others to enter the industry because what a great time to come in as, uh, as the advisor numbers are dropping off and the, oh. the client need are growing more than ever. I wish I was 20 years younger. But, Mike, we're going to sign off now, but it's so nice to sign off with the birds in the background at Three Springs. It's probably it's been the best podcast from a naturalist point of view that we've done. I love listening to the birds in the background. Thanks so Just much, mate. Record, I have got clothes on, Scott. I'm not a naturalist. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. All right. Thank you, Mike Scott. Bennett. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Gap Podcast. We're all about empowering advisors, giving them additional tools for their toolkit to give great advice. Great advice leads to great business frameworks, which leads to great results for the community.